0: Do you want us to keep producing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there? If so, there's a way you can help. If you enjoy this show, please consider donating to help us pay for the cost of making it available. You can do so by using the PayPal link in the description of the podcast or on social media sites where we post it. Even a small donation would help. Thanks in advance, and Go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. In this special in-season bonus episode, host George Templeton looks at the state of the program and interviews experts about all things VCU basketball. And now, here's George.
1: All right, welcome back to Rams Rewind. We have for you a special episode because we don't have a midweek game this week. We're deciding to take the temperature of VCU at this point of the season, two and two in the A10. And we couldn't think of better guests to have than the two gentlemen who are joining me. First and foremost, this gentleman is the co founder of not just VCUramnation.com, one of the foremost message boards and uh, blogs covering VCU basketball and VCU athletics. He's also co founder of A10 Talk. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter. I think it's at Matt Shelton Knight, his whole name on Twitter. It's Matt Sheltonide. Welcome to Rams Rewind. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. It's good to be on. I'm a fan.
1: And one of his uh, co-podcasters on the VCU Ram Nation podcast, which you should be following and subscribing and listening to and liking and all those good things on your various podcast platforms. He almost needs no introduction, but we have to give it to him anyway. He was part. He played for VCU for four years, and in his final year at VCU, he started 39 of 40 games. As part of a team that made the Final Four, he averaged seven points a game. He was second on the team in steals with forty-six. He was third on the team with in assists with seventy-seven. He has transitioned into being a wonderful broadcaster covering VCU men's games and sometimes women's games for ESPN Plus. He's one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Uh, you should be following on uh, following him on Twitter at Chef underscore Nix. I believe it's N I X, and that is Ed Nixon. Welcome to Rams Rewind. It is an honor to have you here, sir.
3: Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate you having me on.
1: It's great to have you guys on. First and foremost, folks, if you like what you hear and you want to help us out, shoot us some dinero. There's a link uh, to the PayPal in the description on Podbean and your other podcast platforms. Like our good friends Darren Grimes, Timothy Sharp, and Ian Baxter all sent us some donations this week. Thank you, gentlemen, for doing that very much. Now, We are here to take the temperature of VCU because it is a bye week and they're not playing till Friday against St. Louis. So the VCU patient is coming into the doctor's office and the good doctors, Dr. I, Dr. Nixon, and Dr. Templeton are going to take a look at this patient, look them over and see what kind of shape we are in. And it's been an interesting season. It's been an up and down season. It's been kind of a crazy season because as others, as both these gentlemen and others have pointed out, We've had three different VCU teams. We've had the teams that didn't have Joe Bamisil and didn't have Sean Barristow. Then we had the team that didn't have Sean Barristo. Then we had the team that, that had everybody. So, you know, just opening thoughts, gentlemen, on what you thought this season was going to be and where is VCU in terms of their progress as we now come to the about the first quarter of the, of the uh, conference season?
3: Well, I'll, I'll say I, I watched them practice. I was very in tune with who they were recruiting, uh, who we brought in. Um, and from the gate, I I'm, to be honest with you, I was skeptical. A couple guys uh, came from losing programs. However, I felt as if they could uh if they could mesh right then the right talent, right place, right time, they can be good. Uh, but I'm also aware that the Sean Barristel injury was huge. But I think it's, it probably worked out the best to allow certain players to get their confidence up early. Certain players like Zeb Jackson, for instance. But all in all, I think I think we are where I thought we would be.
2: Yeah, just kind of related to that, what Ed said, um, not just the programs, but a lot of the guys we brought in just didn't have a ton of experience, other than Bamisil, who I didn't anticipate even getting to play this year. Um, really, the two key kind of like guys who had you know success uh, in their background were Bear Stowe and uh, Max Schul with the two Utah State transfers. So my my great skepticism was how do these guys who come from an elite offense um, how does that transition to VCU where they don't have Stephen Ashworth they don't have Taylor Funk how does how do all these new pieces that are surrounding them Play like their former teammates, um, and you know I thought it was possible because I mean Taylor Funk played one season under Ryan Odom. He was a part of the lead offense, but it was just kind of like I don't know. It's kind of like uh, if you watch that show Chopped, and they they open the basket and it's a bunch of random stuff, and you got to make something delicious. It felt like a bit of that where it was like, all right, let's see how Chef Odom is going to turn, you know these ingredients that he was able to recruit because either they were local or they played for him into a winning program. And I think, you know, what we've seen is, um, I don't know, it's, he's still tweaking the recipe.
1: The interesting thing about this team has been not just the, the changes and all that, the really good performances against some really great teams that unfortunately didn't end up in wins. But these four games in the Atlantic 10, I think it shows you – I think I think there is befuddling for all the metric systems and all all the all the systems that try to rate teams based on the advanced metrics as anything. Because it's funny, somebody pointed put up that the Ken Palm projection is still nine and nine for VCU. And granted, I suppose that's fair because they're two and two. But it's been just total schizophrenia. You've had two, unbel- you've had two shoot. Well, one you can't. I guess you can't call the Saint Bonaventure game a shootout, but you've had a shootout. And another game where both teams scored a lot. Offenses were really rolling. And then you've had two games where VCU's defense has been pretty darn good. Without Jamar Brickus making some incredible shots on Saturday, they're probably going to win easily. So which team is it? Which which team is this? Or are we going to see a happy medium?
3: I believe we'll see a happy medium. Uh, To be honest, I think the coaching staff is working on different coverages defensively to improve the defense. Um, certain guys were struggling with uh, certain coverages. So now I think they made the adjustment of, of, of allowing uh, players to do what fits them best and what they do best and making the uh, adjustments around that, which is basically increased our defense a ton. And I think our offense has slowed down because we're getting so much effort on the defensive end. And I'm completely cool with that.
2: I think a, just an interesting bit of that, schizophrenia and that's pretty much how i would describe this team as well and i think a lot of it but a lot so much has to do with personnel and i think a, a pretty in your face kind of statistic is if you look at our four a10 games the first two games we scored like crazy but we couldn't stop anyone michael bell played one minute in one of those mm-hmm. games three minutes in the other the next two games Michael Bell plays 21 minutes and 18 minutes, and we're all of a sudden a lockdown defensive team again, but we can't score. So there's obviously there's a bit of coincidence to that. Um, Michael Bell wasn't defending every three-point shooter at George Mason, but personnel matters. And I think um, that is the, the big challenge for the coach is really – how how often you know how how many minutes does Joe Bamisil get you know like he he knew his history but he was new to him and so it's just figuring out all right how do these guys play together and so it's kind of like once we got those guys back it, everyone was excited because they thought we just added to this but in a weird in a weird way it's like starting a new season you know and so um, yeah I'm curious to see now that he's got a little bit of data like all right how do you mix uh, Michael Bell with you know, minutes for these other guys. You just hit on the other thing I want to talk
1: about the three point shooting defense. It was a big topic of conversation after the George Mason game. We had, we'd said some fans in our fan group, they were saying it's a fluke that they were 0 for 15. But I think after after the game at LaSalle, it's now six. I think it's six for 33 in these two games. So to me, that's not a fluke because. One of the things that I, that one of the things in, at least in my post game podcast, that I was saying that VC was doing well in these two games is they weren't giving possessions away at either end of the floor. There was not a lot of quick trigger th- you know, threes where, you know, we have the ball for 10 seconds, shoot, miss, give them the ball back. And we were consistently making teams work on the offensive end. You weren't seeing easy buckets, you know, inside the first 10, 15 seconds of the shot clock for the other team as well. So, I kind of feel like that's sustainable, that they can really do a number on teams from that from behind the arc. Do you guys think that's sustainable?
3: Uh, I believe so. I believe it's sustainable. Uh, they have the height, the length, and the the foot speed to do so. I think it's all about uh, learning the coverages and and paying more attention to defense. When Coach Odom first got to VCU, you know, I don't think he was concerned about the defense. I think he thought the defense was something that would just come along with them playing together, and he was more concerned with the offensive chemistry. However, we've seen in these these few games with everybody back that the defense needed to be worked on a little bit more. They had to make some adjustments and put some extra effort, spend more time uh, working on coverages and working on things that really can help this team because the potential is there. I don't think there's a team as long as VCU in the A10. If there is, it's very few. So they they have the athleticism and the length to really be effective defensively. I think we should try some matchup zone from time to time. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be very hard for uh, for teams to go against. So, I mean, the sky's the limit as long as the guys can uh, completely buy in.
2: Yeah, I think also just touching on that with the size, um, same deal. I mean. Coach is figuring out what these guys can do defensively and what they can't do and how much he needs to adjust. It didn't feel like there was a ton of adjustment early on, but I'd love to see us do what Will Wade does and pretty much switch everything with so much length. But, yeah, I, I, I defer to Ed on all questions defense because that's kind of his wheelhouse right there.
1: Well, and and, and uh, one of the, I, I love your analysis, Ed, when I'm watching you on ESPN+. Plus, But with something you said last year – I think you said it in a video for VCU Ram Nation when VCU was kind of struggling at the start of conference play that I thought was just so perfect. And I don't know if it applies this year, but I loved it when you said it. You said, sometimes these players are too cool and you've got to play to exhaustion out on the floor because you've always got a sub coming. Now, at the start of the year, you probably couldn't say that because we didn't have Joe Bamisil and we didn't have Sean Barristow. But now we do. And I have to ask the question is that does the, the second part of that statement that play to exhaustion because somebody's gonna come get you and you're gonna get rest and you get back out there does that need to does that need to be talked about does that do the players need to accept that mantle now
3: I would think so i mean the the most successful teams are teams that are willing to do that, and uh what is called is uh uh you you're unselfish, you know. And if you got unselfish guys are going to do whatever it takes to win, you know, uh, trusting that your teammate is going to come in and lift you up, you know, allowing, allowing yourself to play that way, knowing that you'll get back in, too. And I think the rotations have been kind of uh, weird mm-hmm. to start off, but it's to be expected. You got a lot of different players trying to figure out how they, they mesh well playing with each other, especially when you had Sean and Barristo out for so long. It uh, it's going to take some time, and I, I think in due time they'll get right. But time time is, isn't on their side either.
1: That that, that is unfortunately true because you know we talk about taking the temperature. It's still early in the conference season. We're halfway through the year essentially. I mean we are we are now. In fact, we're probably past halfway at this point. You know because if you if you don't count the conference tournament, you mentioned Sean Bearstone. I want to zero in on him. White magic. Well, that, and, and that was it. <laughs> Watching that game, and and you said white magic. It kind of reminded me of some of the best of Ace Baldwin in terms of finding those angles to make those passes, manipulating the defense with your where where he would drive the ball so that you know because he knew a certain player was going to come a certain way and that was going to get the defender to come this way and then he would he would make the pass. I mean, we're not going to expect twelve assists every game because you can't expect that because you know. Not even Yuri Collins did that and Yuri Collins one of the best assist assist players of all time that we've seen in the A10. But I kind of feel like that maybe we're now getting the Bear Stowe that we were promised and that we could see him doing that a lot in games. Just talk both of you guys your view your reaction to that game, to him having a game like that against LaSalle and uh, what that could mean for him and how he plays going forward.
2: Well, I I mean I'm I mean the thing is I we I mean we knew he was going to be a pretty good passer. He was, his assist rate basically was about 15%, which is not quite point guard, but it's really good for a big guy, right? It's at 30% right now, which leads the team. So he's, he's currently our best passer on our team. So, I mean, it feels to me like Sean's clearly figuring out his role on this team as well. And I'm of the opinion that we are a better team when he is facilitating more than trying to get shots. I don't think his shot selection has been great. So, I think you, even without Sean, the thing that excited me about this team early on, and of course this is in an exhibitions and games like this was I, I hadn't seen ball movement um, like we saw early. And then it just kind of felt like it disappeared a bit. And so I think it's, yeah, as Mike used to say, keeping the ball hot. I think Sean is a guy who can do that. And he's just such a matchup mm. problem. Cause I've never, I've never seen a six, eight guy Yeah, White magic. I've never seen a guy like that at VCU. Um, uh, just a six eight dude who was such a good passer. He's got like a little bit of TJ Klein in him. They, they play differently, and it's obviously TJ mm. Klein was a system passer. But yeah, I think I, I think he's figuring out what guys can do. I mean, he's only played a few games with these dudes other than Max, so I'm excited to see. Now, in, knowing guys' tendencies and know who you know who's who's a good cutter, um, who to not pass it to, you know. I think he's shown us a bit of his ceiling and obviously his ceiling uh, when he's hitting it really helps our team.
3: You know, I I think Sean, once you really get into his physical attributes, he's sneaky athletic. He's six, seven, six, eight. Um, And I think the best attribute of his game is his, his brain and his knowledge of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't really do a lot as far as like handle to get by people. He just knows how to take the right angles Gets to his spots right now. I like Max. I like Zeb, but seeing how he played at the one, because the South started pressing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, so
3: they were trying to get the ball out of Max's hands. So they put they put it in Sean's. So I think that we should experiment with Sean at starting at the one, and having uh zeb uh, and hopefully zeb's okay i know he had the, the, the yeah, back the back injury. injury yeah so um zeb and max on the wing max really wants to shoot the ball zeb zeb wants to get a bucket too sean is the is the one guy that's like kind of in the middle with all that so I, I think we should experiment with him at the one um i think he can set the, the league on fire yeah
2: the other bit
3: of that too is when
2: when you have Sean Barso bringing the ball up, you know, who's guarding him? You know, you've got a four, right. you have, you know, you've got some six, seven, six, eight dude who's not a presser, who's not a full court guy. And so it really kind of affects the defense and just kind of erases, you know, then you're sending your guards down the court. So I think it really
3: affects how the, the opposing defense want to attack us from the start, you know, of the play. And then imagine, imagine a four or five pick and roll, Sean coming down the court. So he, he, he's got a, a, a maybe an athletic four getting switched off into a five where a five has to step up and guard him, creating a mismatch, getting by them, and you know he's going to make the right play because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it could be tremendous um, if they're willing to take a chance.
2: I'll I say I, don't, I, don't, I doubt we're switching to the Princeton offense anytime soon, but just seeing a, a dude that big, I mean, it's like they, you know part of the Princeton offense, you run the point series, the forward's out. It's like your forward's already out. I want to see Jason Nelson backdoor cutting. I want to see Zeb cutting. I want to see these guys cutting. Or you know, um, I just think there's some stuff there that we just haven't really experimented, but it's probably we're probably a little too late for experimenting.
1: I like I'm I'm very interested in an idea like that, but here's here's my other thought that's kind of related to that. Say you do you do that and you do have Baristow essentially as a as the point guard. Part of me thinks that at times Zeb was Pretty effective coming off the bench, and could be pretty effective coming off the bench, leading a second unit. What do you think of that?
3: Who would be who would be starting instead of him?
1: I I would be thinking that if you're doing that, you're talking about Bairstow, Shulga. Hmm. That's that's where that's where it gets tough because I you're thinking you're thinking essentially a three guard lineup except it's really two guards and a forward, and then I'm guessing Kawani would still be out there and. And Furman. I the other thing I'm interested, I'm thinking about is I kind of want to see Furman and Lawall on the floor together at times. And I'm wondering if that kind of a lineup might necessitate that.
3: Well, I I don't I don't know if I agree or disagree with you for per, per se, because I have seen Zeb come in the game and be effective off the bench last year. Yes. Um but I like Zeb starting because he he brings he brings a, a, an aggression. Mm-hmm. Now sometimes it backfires, but when he can be aggressive and get downhill, it makes it makes our team a, a lot better. And he he seems to be finding a rhythm. He's kind of letting the game come to him a little bit more. I would like him to cut down on the three attempts, yeah, and and, and really start. Even though you're open, eat up that space. He's such a and slasher. either create
1: such a good slasher, right? And yeah, who
2: can and who can get to the basket really on this roster like that and finish. And who else of right. these starting players? Sean, in theory, can do that, but he just doesn't. He doesn't finish well. Um, Max, same deal. Uh, Jason Nelson, you know what I'm saying? So he has a, a, a he has an Ed Nixon offense to him that th- there's no one on. Especially if you surround him with shooters, just to have that threat, I think is help very helpful to the offense.
1: All right, let's let's finish up this part of the pod by asking this question. They're two and two. They've got two winnable games at home. I was getting asked after the Mason game, do you still think this team can be top four? And I said, you know what? Let's see after they after the after the LaSalle game and these next two. Because I feel like if they get to four and two, then we can start talking we can really start talking about being a contender again for a top two, top three, top four spot. You know, where where are you where are you at in terms of where this team should or can finish this
2: year in the conference. I'll start on that one. Um, we, so here's here's the key thing right now. Look at the top four. You've got Dayton. You've got a, a semi-rebuilt a semi Richmond who's looking pretty legit. Um, you have – it's funny. My son is literally driving the basketball upstairs. I'm going to have to shut them down. Um, but, think, but look who, who else is kind of rounding out the top four. Rhode Island. Who was horrible in the non-conference? Loyola, Chicago, sort of similarly, and then right behind them, you've got GW. So you, you know, when you think about it, like, can VCU play with Loyola, Rhode Island, and GW? The answer is yes. So it doesn't feel far-fetched that yes. I mean, we haven't looked good, but again, we're a layup from beating Memphis, who's legit. We're up 15 on Iowa State. Who in this conference can go up 15 on Iowa State? We have a bit of us. If we win those games, we're, this is a completely different podcast right now. You know yes. what I'm saying? Right. It's not like that team disappeared. We added more players. And so we're going to have games where we blow the doors off of people. We just haven't seen it. So do I think VCU can be top four? Absolutely.
1: This is a completely different – if we're 3-1 and one in the conference having beaten GW, this is a completely different podcast.
3: Right, but you know you got to take care of business, and I I just think the thing about this team is they played close all year, even in their in their losses. But just so many like mental errors, like loud mental errors, Mm -hmm. and bad plays. They were so loud. It was almost like it was almost like watching Russell Westbrook in a Lakers jersey. They were just it's the same Russ, but their plays were just so loud that it really it really really put it like a bad taste in a lot of in a lot of fans mouth. But in actuality when you take a step back and look, all the games were close. Mm-hmm. We just were tired at the end. You know what I mean? For being two two starters down basically or practically. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think they can finish, but they do have to find an identity defensively. And if they do, sky's the limit because offensively we have a lot of different weapons that can that can really hurt you and one of my favorite weapons that's been coming along lately especially in the a10 play is Christian Furman I think that he's been playing ex- extremely well these last few games even when he isn't scoring the, scoring the ball a lot, Defensively, he's been impact. He's been a huge impact. If he's not blocking a shot, he's contesting that shot or changing the shot. He was um,
1: he was the only guy who could stop David Chad Venning that I've seen. I mean, every Chad Venning's been getting off against everybody, butting him. It seems like in the, in the Atlantic Ten play.
3: Absolutely, I would agree. I, w- I would thousand percent agree. And I like the fact that he uh, that he's just coming along offensively. His touch looks really good around the rim with his, with, with the floaters, um, in in the in the jump hook shots, um. But he just has to work with catching the ball more. Mm. There's a lot of points he leaves on the board because he has bad hands out it right. You now. know
1: what? I feel like you got to throw it up to this to the to head height or higher to him. I, I right. I'm tired of these passes to him that are at his hip or down here because I feel like that's when the turnovers come.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that he's 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 a hundred hours away with a he's a hundred hours with a tennis ball tennis ball away from being almost like. A league presence type of guy if he had if he has good hands christian Furman probably averages six to seven more points as of right now Mm -hmm. so i think you give him you give him better hands and maybe a year or two he he can actually be something legit and elite
1: all right let's take a quick look at the a10 and as we do this duquesne is up 59 55 on richmond with 96 seconds left and richmond's going to the foul line so we got ourselves a a potential uh, nail biter here down the stretch. This a ten is confusing. You've got Dayton on one end, and they're really, really good, and they look like the class of the league. And I do think VCU's got something for them, but that's another conversation for another time. You guys sort of referenced it at the start, talking about you know GW and, and Rhode Island uh, being up there, and Richmond being up there. This conference is confusing because GW is three and one, yes, but they lost at home to Fordham. They gave up 85 to Fordham in regulation, lost in triple overtime. So, I, I mean, I said it. I thought we it was a horrible loss to GW because I don't think GW is going to be good and going to be up there at the end of the season. But, I mean, the Rhode Island thing comes out of completely nowhere for me. How they're 3-0, again, I'm mystified. So, I mean, how do we figure this? I mean, we can't obviously, but – how do we start to try to figure out the rest of this league behind Dayton? Because it is a jumble right now.
3: Cream always rises to the top. The cream always rises to the top. And it's, it's just a matter of time. It's just a little early. It's just a little early. And I think some guys are – I think a lot of the times you have good teams with, with a lot of talent. In every conference, it's, it's a lot of talent. But it just comes down to the people who could be the most consistent. And right now, it's too early to see who's most consistent playing, with, playing to their strengths. But we know Dayton off the off the back is. Mm-hmm. That's think that's the biggest difference. Duquesne, they have talent from top to bottom. Jimmy Clark is is one of the realest point guards in the league. You know what I mean? Oh, we know. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. He's allegation for being at VCU right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So in all, in all honesty, in all honesty, like they can be really good, but then. They'll drop ones you think they shouldn't. Yeah, you know Richmond. Eyes. Richmond. I went to see Richmond play Mason, and Richmond had a huge lead on him. Mason walked them down and made it, and made it a really good game. Um, but they they pulled it out. It was it was at home. Mason is on a three game slide right now. Mm-hmm. So how how good is Mason? We still we don't know yet. You know what I mean? But Richmond looks pretty good. Uh, st. Joe's. I, I thought they were going to be a sneaky good team. They have everybody back, um, so in in due time, maybe they figure it out. Maybe they just drop them early, trying to figure out how to play. So we'll see. It's it's going to be one of those things where we're just going to have to give it some time. Yeah, I think the reality too is, I mean, if you're a Kim Pump fan,
2: you look at the conference. You've got basically seven teams from like ninety to one hundred and fifty. That's <laughs> they're they're kind of jumbled in there, right? So um, it's just going to be competitive. There's a sort of a razor's edge between how good some of these teams are. And the other thing, the other thing, the factor that kind of can confuse you early is schedule. And so, you know, I'd have to dig into each schedule. Like it is surprising that VCU lost at home to GW, but we may learn that GW is better than we thought. Like Buchanan kid is real deal. And obviously Bishop can play. So I, I just think, you know, the longer you get more schedule, you get to see like, oh, okay. Well, they lost that that team. It turns out they're good. Like Fordham last year, I thought they weren't actually good until you learn it. It took us a while to learn they were truly legit, not just the product of a weak non-conference schedule. So I think sort of the 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 thing early is yeah, there's a bit of a schedule factor to it. So Rhode Island, I mean, two of their home wins are against St. Joseph's, who's looking like they were overrated at home, and they beat UMass, who you know. They the the jury's still out on Frank Martin at UMass, um, and they did have a, a a win at Davidson, who's they've had a struggle of the season. So I just think you need a larger sample, really, um, and and the cream may rise a bit. But the reality is, it's a very um, that middle of the conference is just like a big, you know, royal rumble, and so it's it may it may take longer than, than normal.
1: By the way, Richmond has just tied it; it's fifty nine also. Having said all that, I'm going to ask these two guys to throw some darts here. I'm going to take VCU and Dayton out of the equation because just for obvious reasons. Let's just say for the moment that both of them do finish top four. Who are your other top four teams if you had to guess today?
3: Uh, Richmond would be there. And I'll say St. Bonnie's.
1: Okay. Interesting.
3: Yeah,
2: honestly – Richmond, they're obviously off to a great start. If they win at Duquesne, that's an even better start. I do love the Jordan King kid. Uh, he actually hung out. He actually hung out with our Ram Nation TBT team this summer, and I don't know if you saw him down at the BDC because he was friends with one of our players who played together. Okay, a great dude. But Richmond, I mean, you know, Richmond looks pretty legit, um, and you know they've got some decent wins. And if they can pull off a tough win at Duquesne, even though they don't have Day Grant, that's even more helpful. I like Richmond and I think St. Bonaventure would be my guess just because to me, you know, Mark Schmidt's going to play his like five or six best dudes. And I really like their five best dudes. Um, I think Venning is a machine and they added two really good transfer guards. And I just think talent wise, they're like a team I do not want to see. I also like UMass's front court too. So we'll see what happens with them. But I'm with Ed.
1: As we continue the update, Duquesne just—I don't know how this jump shot went in, but it bounced all the way around and fell in to give them the lead. But Richmond's just tied it again, again with 50 seconds left. You know what? I'm—I'll be—I'll be the weird one, and I'm going to say I—I think you're all right. I think you're all—you guys are all right about Richmond, which kind of hurts me a little because it—you know, of course, it also means these Richmond VCU games are going to be nuts when they play them. But loyal of Chicago, I, I'm kind of buying yeah. what they're selling a little bit. Uh, I, you know, I was. We were all concerned last year when they came in the league and did so badly, and I didn't think they could make a jump like what Duquesne kind of did last year. But I tell you, they played a good non-conference schedule and played some really good teams. And I think I think Valentine's starting to really figure out that rotation, and I love the Austin kid. So I'm gonna, I'm going to agree with you guys about Richmond, but I'll throw Loyola Chicago in there. I've also kind of had it with Saint Bonaventure because. For them to play that well at VCU and then stink it up at the Robinson Center, and they did, they were PU, they were terrible. And I watched a lot of that Fordham game and giving up 83 to Fordham, you know, I, I'm kind of, except for Chad Venning, I've kind of had enough of St. Bonaventure at this point. Because mm. <laughs> it just, I can't believe they played that well against VCU and then played that badly the next few games. This has been great, guys. I want to thank you both for taking the time to come on. Uh, and, uh, and appreciate your, both your podcast and your work online. And here at Rams Rewind, we believe in shameless self-promotion. So Matt and Ed, anything that you want to promote social media-wise with Ram Nation, whatever you've got coming up, this is your moment. Let's have it.
3: All right. Um, so follow me on uh, Twitter, Chef underscore Nix. That's N-I-X. Uh, follow me at InTheKitchen50 on Instagram. And I also do a watch party, um, a virtual watch party for all the way games. Um, everybody can join us on my Twitch. It's also in my uh, bio of my Instagram. Uh, we have a really good community. It's growing uh, weekly. So I want everybody to come out and join it. Is I just want to prove that Ram Nation's the best nation overall. So that's it for me.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. You're the chef. You're Chef Nick's. You must be good in the kitchen, obviously, if you're Chef Nick's. Like what's, right. your, what's your favorite, what's your favorite thing to concoct? I just have to ask. Cause I'm curious.
3: Um, I make a really good steak.
1: Oh, I like that. I like to sound of that.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. Matt.
2: Well, hey, you know, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm here obviously cause I uh, VC Ram nation. I appreciate everybody following that. Um, and everyone who works with us on that. Keep, keep clicking. <laughs> Uh, but, but mainly, hey, if anyone needs to buy a house, email me, Matt, with one T, M-A-T, at nestrealty.com. That's how I pay the bills. So basketball is fun, but uh, doesn't uh, it's not my career. So <laughs> come buy a house. <laughs> come buy my house. Uh, or not don't buy my house. Come buy a house with me, and uh, you know, it'll help me support the the NIL so we can get better.
1: I, I got to be hey, honest, Matt. you could have knocked me over with a feather that it's been since 2007. I had no idea it had been around that long.
2: I know. So it, just
1: real quick, like, how did it come to be that many years ago?
2: It, well, it was funny. Uh, a quick story on it. But basically, I remember um, – oh, Richmond just took the lead. How about that? Uh, yeah,
1: it was a great play too. Great. St. Play, St. Louis uh, game
2: crazy. So basically back in the day, I remember it was, yeah, 2007. We had thought about it. And then when Maynard hit the dagger, we are like, all right, let's make, let's do something. And Matt Morton was like, let's make a podcast. And in 2007, I'm like, what the hell is a podcast?
1: <laughs> yeah. So
2: it started as a podcast. And the funny thing is, I used to have this job for this company that doesn't exist anymore called Clearwire. So I was selling internet out of Virginia Center Commons Mall. So I was like, and no one wanted to buy that internet. So I was just there. <laughs> and I was just sitting at my kiosk. And I was just emailing people. And I was like, hey, Kyle Welleson. Hey, Jeff Goodman. Hey, all these people. Come be on our podcast, and you know, back then I didn't have a, I didn't have kids and stuff or a job, and I just had endless time to throw at this website, and so we were able to build it up. And then, what a great time to build it, starting 2007. Little did we know, you know, all these guys that were going to come along and just take it to new heights, and we were in the, it was the right place at the right time. But it's been insanely fun. I've gotten to meet and do the meet the coolest people and do the coolest things from it. You know, I'm watching. It's like one year I'm watching Ed in the Final Four. You know, a decade later, me, him, and Matter picking up liquor before we're going out to town, hometown. You know what I mean? This is fun, man. It's it's been it's been a dream.
1: Well, I really appreciate you guys going on. The last update is as we cut this thing off is that Duquesne has gotten Duquesne's gotten fouled and they're going to the foul line to try to tie this game and send it to overtime. Uh, this is this is a huge swing game because if Duquesne loses this, I think they're zero four in the league and and they're already in the hole as it is. If they don't win this game, they're they're in real trouble for the rest of the year. And I think if Richmond wins this, I think they're 4-0. Is that right? I think they are the 3 and no the 3-0. I think cuz they had they had to buy. They've already had a buy as well. So, thank you all for listening. Thank you Matt and Ed from vcramnation.com. Patronize the patronize their site. It's forums, it's blogs, it's podcasts. Listen to those podcasts on Spotify and all your podcast platforms and like, rate, review, and all those sorts of things. And we'll see you guys hopefully Friday night uh, after the game, after hopefully another VC win against St. Louis. Thank you all for listening. Have a good night, everybody.
0: To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. We'll be back after the next game, and thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.